Good evening. All right. Let me get a sip of water first. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut out the small talk because I got a I got a 40 page sermon note uh, to give to you today. All right, so I'm just kidding. 12 pages. <clears throat> okay. You know, I think last time I came here, I was just like Pastor Christian said, I, I was throwing stuff at you, but today I'm going to teach. Okay? Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Verse 1 through 19, I want to ask you guys to uh, read it all together. And then when you're reading it, let it sink in, all right? So let's read it all together, okay? You, don't, you, know what, honest, you know what? You don't have to read it loud. Just read it for yourself right now. I'll give you maybe about three minutes, okay? Read it to yourself. Let it sink in, all right? Let it sink in. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. No, you know what? Just go verse 1 to verse 19, all right? Verse 1 to verse 19, all right? I'll give you three minutes. Read it twice if you want. Still got a minute and a half left. Amen. Okay. Now this this is a this is a is a, is a is a prophetic passage. Okay, where Jesus is speaking to his generation 2000 years ago about about, you know, things you just read, okay? But more importantly, he's speaking to this this generation, our generation. Okay? By using John the Baptist to motivate wholeheartedness. To be a wholehearted lover of God, alright? For this day and this hour, because we were approaching the end times. As you know, you know, I, I just, my, all my messages are about end times, so this is about end times too, okay? So, this is a vast subject, because there's so much deep, profound revelation in this passage. 
There's real meat in this passage, okay? Alright? It's vast. There's so many. I, I may need a full hour to preach this. And I need a, your undivided attention for a full hour. Okay, not with your natural ability, because we're going to ask right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to fall upon each one of you, because you cannot understand this passage, nor the whole Bible, without the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen? Amen. Because God gives more to the hungry. God gives, God reveals the deeper things of His Word to the hungry. That will search and seek as they're searching for silver and gold. Amen? Without hunger, you can't receive anything from the Lord. Because hunger is the source and the key to every blessings of God in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And hunger comes... No. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation comes by hunger. Amen? So who's hungry right now? Say amen. amen. Let's pray. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father of glory. Father of light. Shine your light. Father, we ask that you will shine your light right now in this place. Illuminate our minds with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear the word, Father. Give us ears, Father God. We ask for ears to hear what the spirit is saying to this church and all across the land, Lord Jesus. So would you begin to stir up our appetites right now, Father. Get rid of all the other appetites and give us the hunger and appetite for your word. Right now in Jesus' name, Father, we ask that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will begin to envelop us, begin to burn in our hearts. Begin to burn in our hearts right now, Father. We ask you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Let it burn. We're going to take about a minute. I just want to be silent before God. And I want you to feel the burnings in your heart. It's coming upon you right now. Feel the burnings of your heart. Burnings is the burnings of his heart in your heart right now. It's coming. We're going to wait on God. Father, we ask that you'll be most glorified and your church will be edified. In your name we pray, amen. Okay. Now, I'm going to go down these verses. And as I go down, I'm going to cover some of these verses in depth, okay? <clears throat> and then I'm going to bring it all together to draw out the main points of this passage. Alright? So I'm just going to go down the verse right now. Let's go from verse 2. Alright, verse 2. When John had heard from prison about the works of Christ, he sent, 
two of his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we need to look for another? So how does Jesus reply? He says, Go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, Deaf hear, and dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, over here, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. About the, the great promised messianic pro- prophecy, right? And these two being John's disciples, they will know what that meant. Because right now, Jesus is saying, yes, the Messiah is in front of you. That's what he's saying. He just quoted Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. Okay? And then, verse 6, verse 6, he goes on to say, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In NIV, it says, Blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me, because so many people at this time, especially the religious and the political leaders, they were offended. They were offended by Jesus. When, When Jesus was healing the sick, setting the oppressed free, by the power of the gospel, they were actually offended at Jesus. Offended enough to kill him. Right? They were looking straight at the great coming Messiah. But instead of thanking him and praising God for it, what did they do? What did they do? They were offended because everything that Jesus preached was a massive disturbance. It was a massive disturbance. To the political and to the religious system in that hour. <clears throat> because it went against everything that they stand for and what they're about in their fine linen clothing, looking holy and righteous in the outside, but in, in inside they were filled with filth and corruption. Why? Why? Because, first of all, they did not have the right knowledge of who God is. They were blinded by their pride and arrogance in their self-glorification. And even today, if we don't have the right knowledge of who God is, I'm talking to right here, all of you, you sincere Christians on fire for the Lord. If we don't have the right knowledge of who God is, I assure you, you will be offended by God. I assure you that. Because the gospel is a massive disturbance to our mindset and the lifestyle of the system of this world that we live in. Okay? Because, check this out, we cannot grow in wholeheartedness when we are offended by God because an offense is an opposite of gratitude. And the Holy Spirit wants to bring our gratitude into maturity, into being a wholehearted lover of God. Because the measure of your gratitude is the measure of how much you're going to love God. And that measure is through our understanding of who God is. But the same thing, He comes and He confuses our understanding about God saying that we're getting a bad deal. We're not getting what we deserve. God could do so much more for us in His all power, but He's not doing it. And when we start to buy into this lie, you know what happens? Instead of gratitude, we end up with offense. Instead of wholeheartedness, we end up with compromise. Okay? And this is a 
common issue, common issue for any Christian out there. I don't care if you're Benny Hinn. I don't care if you're Andre Pasconi. This is a common issue for any Christians out there. Okay? This is a very, because, because the enemy is constantly trying to get us to be offended towards God. We all, we all, I, 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 right now, we all, this is me now, we all have this unperceived offense towards God. We have it. We gotta perceive it. We gotta deal with it. Because if you don't deal with this unperceived offense, your wholeheartedness is gonna end up in compromise. Amen? Unperceived pride, you, where, where we say to God, you could have given me a better deal, God. And the last issue, it took so long to come to result. And you know what? It didn't even turn out the way I wanted to, when you could have done it so much better for me, if you wanted to, because you're all powerful. But you didn't. It took so long. And therefore, I love you, Jesus, but you know what? I love you, but I am very hesitant in my heart to really follow your leadership right now. My heart is kind of closed right now to you. I can't open up because because you could have done so much more in your all power and might, but you didn't. Trust me, we all have this unperceived pride. We all have it. We have this. Okay? Not knowing that his leadership is trustworthy. You gotta understand that his leadership is trustworthy because you know why? You know why? Because he's, he's safe. He's a safe God. Why is he a safe God? Sorry, John, I'm, I'm speaking too loud. Okay, sorry about that. Alright. <laughs> okay. Because his leadership is safe. He, he, he's a safe God. He's a safe God because, because he knows all things, right? He knows all things. Which means he knows exactly, I know you've heard this many times, he knows exactly what you need and what you don't need. He knows exactly how much to give you and how much to take from you. Because he knows you more than you know, you know yourself. He knows how weak we are. He knows how broken we are. He knows our disease called sin. And that is why he came into the world and died on the cross to take away the disease caused sin and bring healing and restoration and to cleanse us and redeem us. Amen? Therefore, he's safe. How safe is he? You ask me? He died for you. That's how safe he is. Amen? When this revelation dawns on you, you are gonna, your whole emotional chemistry is gonna change into this, you're gonna have this grati- gratitude towards God, right? And that gratitude is gonna turn into a wholehearted love. I guarantee you. So, we have to lock ourselves with this, we gotta grit ourselves, we gotta lock ourselves with this gratitude because wholehearted loves only from gratitude, alright? Now, verse 7 and 8, okay, now, you know, I'm, I'm pushing on different subjects, but like, I'm gonna bring it all together, okay? So just hang, hang, hang in with me, okay? Verse 7 and 8, John's disciples departed to go see John, right? Verse 7 and 8, Jesus begins to speak to the multitude concerning John, concerning John. Jesus asked the multitude, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? The reason why he's asking this question is because they had no idea who John was. Therefore, they had no idea who Jesus was. 
So Jesus is, is he's bringing up these questions from the, from the very wisdom of God. He's saying, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? You walked 10 miles in the desert. And what did you see? And first thing he brings up is this. You, did you see a reed shaken by the wind? The reason why brings, Jesus call, explains John as the wind that shakes the wind is because John the Baptist is a man of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Jesus says, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as a wind. The wind, you can't see it. You don't know what it looks like. But you can feel it. You can see the manifest manifestation of it, right? Likewise, you can't see the Holy Spirit. Most of us. Can you see the Holy Spirit? Have you seen the Holy Spirit? So I, I know some people have seen the Holy Spirit. Right? But most of us, we can't see the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, we don't know what it looks like. But we can feel Him and we can see His power and His manifestation through signs and wonders and through the lifestyle of faith and love. Amen? And John the Baptist was filled with faith and heartedness, which is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus is saying, that's what you went out to see in the wilderness. But in verse 8, Jesus says, if that's not what you saw, then what did you go out to see? He's asking a bunch of questions. What did you go out to see? He says, a man dressed in a soft garment. Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in King's palace. Meaning, he's saying, you didn't see a famous political religious leader with with five PhDs and, and six master's degree, standing with a nice white suit, speaking eloquently. No, you didn't see that. But you, you saw a man looking like a barbarian, wearing camel clothes, eating locusts and honey, yelling and screaming off his lungs. But yet, Jesus says, I call this man a prophet. I, don't, I call this man a prophet. I didn't call a seminarian, doctor degree man, a prophet. I call this man, who's an outcast from the city, living in the desert. I call him a prophet. Not only a prophet, he's the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Right? He says, I call this man a prophet, verse 9 and 10, more than a prophet. But this is him, it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, Jesus is quoting uh, the prophecy of Malachi 3.1, which is also the one, which is also the one who was prophesied by Isaiah 40, where he says, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. So over here, Jesus is putting verse 5, verse 9, and verse 10 together, and he's saying, the miracle work of, of, of messianic prophecy and the prophetic forerunner with the spirit of Elisha has simultaneously came together in your generation. Because something massive is gonna be, is gonna break upon your generation right now. This is a prophetic passage. Okay? The messianic, the miracle worker of the messianic prophecy, the prophetic promise forerunner with the spirit of Elijah, simultaneously came together in one generation, and something massive is about to break out in your, upon your generation, but they had absolutely no clue of what is going on. They had no clue. 
that the beginning of the new covenant was about to break upon the generation through the preparation of the forerunner and through the coming of the Messiah, but they had absolutely no clue. Why? Because they were asleep spiritually. Sleeping. Snoring and sleeping. And just as these people did not know what was happening in their days, I want to tell you, beloved, today, so many of us do not know, do not understand the time that we're living in right now. We are moving into the greatest hour of history. And people are not even excited. We're moving into the, the glorious and the terrifying day of the Lord. Why? It's glorious for the redeemed, but it's terrifying for the rebellion. Because when he comes, he's coming for the redeemed, but he's going to kill, destroy all the wicked. When Christ comes back, he's not coming as a Jesus, a lamb that does that, to, be, to be slain in a little baby in a manger. No. He's coming back as a lion. Beloved. That Christmas story of Jesus, that's good and dandy. But guess what? You're going to have the fuller revelation of who Jesus is. He's coming as a lion. Eyes burning with fire. He's going to slaughter every wicked king of the earth and establish his righteousness and his justice and peace forever on this earth. Amen? He's a warrior king and a bridegroom king. Amen? And we are moving into that generation right now as I speak. I believe with all of my heart, I'm not going to go into why I believe that. Next time I come, or I come back to preach, I guarantee you I'll bring the end time message. I'm going to cover every event to convince you. But right now, I'm not on that. So next, just, but, but just, just hear me out. I believe with all of my heart that we're at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of that hour. I'm talking... You know, I'm going to be careful when I'm talking 30, 50 years from now. I don't know the exact date and the hour. Because no one knows the exact date and the hour, as the Bible says. But God has commanded us. He has commanded us to stay awake and be watchful in our prayers and understand the season and the time we're living in. Amen? If you are an intercessor that stands before the God of, of unapproachable light, and, and intercede on behalf of the church. I'm telling you. He will give you little insights. Jesus says. No one knows day and the hour. Except for the father. What does that mean? Let me give you a revelation. What does that mean? Go to the father. That's what it means. No one knows day and the hour. Only the father. Go to the father for the source. He'll reveal it to you. This is, this is something very new to you right now. But I'm going to tell you, this is revelation. You cannot stick with the old, rusty, crusty teaching of our forefathers, which is good. It's, it's all good. I love people from seminary. I love it, all right? It was, it was, but I'm telling you right now, you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to bring fresh revelation, the fresh insight, because God does something new every year, every decade, Amen? 
30 to 50 years from now. I believe that Christ is coming back between 30 to 50. It could be, it could be less. It could be more. No one in heaven is asking for, asking for my opinion, okay? They like me up there, but they don't care what I think. They just, they just pat me on the back. They kiss me in the cheek and keep searching me. That's what he says, right? And that's what I'm doing. And I came up with, I think, maybe 30 to 50 years from now, Christ will come back. And I'm beloved, I'm telling you, the time is near because 30 and 50 years is a moment. It goes by like this. If you study the Old Testament prophets, when they prophesy of saying, if you don't repent, you're going to go into captivity. They start prophesying that 20 years before. And don't prophesy like it's happening it's happen tomorrow. Beloved, we've got to be the end time messengers of this hour. We've got to have the prophetic spirit with the forerunner, with the spirit of Elijah upon us to go one short step ahead of the Lord to make highway. To make highway for His coming. We have to be doing and saying what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in this hour. You cannot be way over there. You cannot serve. You cannot be seeking for what He did 10 years ago. You gotta be doing and saying what He's doing right now in this hour. Amen? This is the urgency of the hour, beloved. Continuing in verse 11, concerning John. Surely I say to you, among those who are born of a woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus claims that from the days of the Old Testament prophet, not one is greater than John. This speaks of very highly of John, right? Why? Because he was the one whom the Father sent to prepare for his son's coming. I mean, John the Baptist is the one whom the Father, he was the sent one. He was sent from God. He wasn't sent out of an organization. He wasn't sent out of a, I don't know. I don't get critical right now, but you know. He was sent from God himself to prepare. He had the greatest task of all, out of all the Old Testament prophets. That's why Jesus says he's the greatest of all. He's the greatest of, of the old. Because he had the greatest task. Right? And then, likewise, as I said, God is raising up wholehearted, lovesick, end-time messengers with the spirit of Elijah. God is raising up John the Baptist generation right now. Beloved, you got to get with the program, man. Oh, my goodness. You got to get with it. Jesus is coming. Do you want to live in this life? This fallen world all your life? Do you want to live? He's coming. He's going to change everything. He's coming. And I tell you, give you a little, little preview of, of next time I come back here. There's going to be a bloodbath everyone when it comes back. Bloodbath. Blood up to the horse's bridle, 200 miles long. You think that's some kind of symbolic in the Bible? No. You need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand the end time message. He's coming. He wants to thank you. He wants to raise us as, as a Nazarites of this age. A Nazarite of this age who has more privilege, more access to God 
than John the Baptist. That is why in verse 11, look what he says. Verse 11, he says, But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. This is huge. This is massive revelation right now. Do you have a heater on you or something? Is there a heater on you? Or am I just... Okay. It's Spanish Spanish somewhere. Okay. This is a massive... Because this verse, <clears throat> verse 11... You know what? Can you, guys repeat, can you guys read that all together? Verse 11, just read it. Just one, that one phrase. Okay, amen. Right there. This, this is talking about the position of privilege in the new covenant. In the, this is talking about the new dispensation that was about to break upon the generation where the Holy Spirit will be poured out into every redeemed who asks for it will be filled with his presence. Therefore, they would have more access and more privilege than the prophets of the old covenant, even John the Baptist. Because remember now, John the Baptist is still considered as the old covenant prophet. Please understand this. Some, some, something that, something that teaches out, but he is considered as the old, old covenant prophet. And this is the proof right here. Because he did not live to see the, the death of and the resurrection of Jesus. He's the old covenant prophet. Alright? And John the Baptist, and, and therefore the least one in the new covenant, has more privilege and access to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit than the greatest one in the old covenant, which is John the Baptist. So beloved, this is, this is huge because Jesus is telling his generation, there is about to be a radical change. He's telling his generation, there's going to be a radical change right now. The, the promised miracle worker of the messianic prophecy and the promised forerunner of the spirit of Elijah simultaneously came together in your generation and there's about to come upon a radical transitional change in your generation and you thought that you just went to go see somebody just uh, some fanatic yelling and screaming top of his lungs I gotta, you know what? I'm, I'm going off a tangent right now. I, I gotta get back because I, I don't have much time. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, anyways, okay. Even John the Baptist. Okay. So, so you know, and and, and, and so some, a lot of times we we find ourselves marveling. It's, it's okay to marvel at the Old Testament prophets. I, I do all the time. But sometimes we say, man, I only only if I was like Elijah or Moses. But you know, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you know what Paul says? 2 Corinthians chapter, I think it's chapter, I've got a chapter. Paul says that the glory that Moses was begging to see, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was shining with radiance because the glory of God was on him. Because he, he just had an encounter with God at Mount Sinai. But, he, but Paul says that glory is a, is a passing away glory. But that glory, the same glory that Moses was begging to see, it dwells in us. You know this? The very presence, the very glory, the very life of God is indwelling in the inside of us. You, you gotta really understand. If, when you, when this revelation dawns on you, your life will never be the same. Really. Really. When you truly understand that God, 
God of the universe. The, the Genesis 1 God, creator of heavens and the earth. He made his home in your in a human vessel. When that revelation conquers and subdues your mind, I'm telling you, man, you will never be the same. That's why we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You hear, the, you hear this many, many times. But you need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not an intellectual, intellectual understanding, beloved. Understand this. It's never intellectual understanding. Never, ever, 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 ever intellectual understanding. It's by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because God is a spirit, amen? So, the Old Testament prophets did not have the indwelling presence of God living in them. The presence of God always came upon them. Do you, do you know this? Because, the, because the, the Holy Spirit was not officially poured out yet. Except to John the Baptist. Because Luke 1, the angel tells his father, John the Baptist's father, he is filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Why? Because John the Baptist has had the greatest task of all, out of all the old. He's the one, through his preparation, the, the new covenant was breaking forth through his preparation, which I get to later on. Okay? So, but Jesus says, the least the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. Okay? I mean, you know, you know, um, again, again, we, 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 you know, it's okay, it's okay. You know, we, we find ourselves marveling at the days of the Old Testament, days of, the, of Moses, days of Elijah. We, we, it's fascinating, it's fascinating. I, I love it. I love to study those, those people. I love it. You know, it's, 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 it's good. It's good. We, we, we find ourselves marveling at these things. But, you know, I, beloved, like, I, I, all those guys, all those guys, they were pointing to the days that we're moving into right now. Do you know this? All those guys, they were pointing to the day that we, this generation, is moving into right now. The greatest hour of history. We are living in the greatest hour of history. You really have to understand this. Okay? You could be born in any generation. But God chose you to be born in this generation. Why? Because he wants to raise you up as a forerunner. As John the Baptist with the spirit of Elijah upon you. Continue in verse 12. Concerning, concerning John, Jesus says, again, concerning John, Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, Stay with me, all right? Ready? Oh, you, look, look, look at your Bible. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. He says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Over here, Jesus is using John the Baptist as the token of spiritual violence. Because Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven suffers, or put the word, permits, or allows, honors, violence, and the violent 
take it by force. But this violence is not a physical violence. Okay? It's not a physical violence where you go to war in a physical battle. No. This violence is the spiritual violence. It's an internal violence that wars against the human mindset to destroy everything in our mind that comes against the knowledge of God. Is that kind of internal violence. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but it's mighty in God, putting down strongholds in our minds by casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity of obedience of Christ. Amen? Amen. That is a violence, internal violence that, that Jesus is talking about right here. It's an, it's an internal violence of total abandonment, of wholehearted love sickness towards God. That's what it is. Total abandonment of wholehearted love sickness towards God. That's what's called spiritual violence. And John the Baptist was that kind of man. Amen. That is why NIV says. The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Which means the kingdom of God achieves advances in violence because spiritual violent ones will take it by force. Okay, now as I mentioned, Jesus is using John the Baptist as a token of a spiritual violence. And therefore in verse 11, back to verse 11 where he says, He who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist. In other words, Jesus is saying, If John the Baptist, who was under the limitation of the old covenant, Enter into the spiritual violence, how much more should we, people of the new covenant, who has more access and to, and to more privilege to the experience of the Holy Spirit, enter into the spiritual violence? Beloved, we are approaching the time where there's a, the hurricane is arising and it's coming upon us because the more you experience the power of God, the opposition is greater. Beloved, you gotta understand this. Love sickness is not an option. Oh, he's lovesick because uh, I don't know. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's the way he's built. Maybe that's his personality. Christianity is not about personality. Christianity is about the personality of God, and He's on fire. You touch the burning God, you're gonna burn. Amen. I'm telling you, we got to, honestly, we got to pray for the churches that are that are silent. Let's pray. You can hear a pin drop. Oh, it's okay. We all pray this way. We, we all have different personalities. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, you know, you guys pray that way. We pray this way. Because, yeah, you know, we're all different. I'm telling you right now. God is a burning God. You touch the burning God, you're going to burn. You're going to burn. Amen? Okay. This spiritual violence, they talk about this, this spiritual violence is going to change. When you enter into a spiritual violence, it's going to change the way you pray. 
It's going to change the way you, where you fast. It's going to change the way you do quiet time. Because it's not going to be your quiet time. You're not going to settle. You're not going to settle. Check this out. You're not going to settle for a nice reading of the word to make yourself feel good. But your spirit is going to long and yearn for an encounter. Amen? Amen? Where your spirit is, your spirit is going to long and yearn to hear his voice because the word is alive. Amen? You don't read the word, you hear the word. Why? Because the word is alive. It speaks. The word speaks. Amen? Who is the word? Jesus is the word. Amen? That's what you're going to long for. It's not going to be a quiet time anymore. When you enter into spiritual violence, it's going to change the way you pray. You're not going to settle for a nice little Sunday school prayer anymore. Beloved, look at me. I'm telling you right now. You think Christianity is about personality? You're living in delusion right now. There's only one personality in Christianity, and that's God's personality. Granted, I know there's time and, and place for everything. There's time to pray quiet, you know, because when, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you're at a subway, you can't be shouting. And, you know, I mean, there's time and place for everything, right? But I'm talking about when you come into corporate settings like this, when the intercessors come together to pray in the house of prayer, if you hear a, a pin drop, I guarantee you that congregation is oppressed by the spirit of religion. I can't breathe in the spirit of religion place. I can't even breathe. I get a headache. Because the spirit of God is alive in me. Amen? It's going to change the way you pray. Because you are going to long. Check it out. When you pray, you got to understand this. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, Father of glory. I keep asking the Father of glory. Paul, in his mind, he's, he has, he's approaching the God of what? The, appro- the unapproachable light. He's, he's so radiant, you can't even approach. You, you're going before the God of unapproachable light. God who shines like Jasper. God who burns like Sardius. Emerald rainbow surrounding the throne. You are going this kind of God right here. Therefore, you're going to long to see your prayers burning at the altar into the throne room of God in a sweet smell of incense. You're going to see, you want to see your prayer burn before the altar. Amen? You're not going to settle for a Hail Mary kind of prayer. A couple, you know, you, 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 you pray before a meal to put a little, to put a little spice in our meal. Beloved, prayer is the meal. Prayer is not to pray, to put a little spice on your little meal, man. Prayer is the meal. And you know that, right? I think I'm preaching the choir, man. You know, you know this. You guys are on fire. Amen. All right. Prayer is the meal, right? And, and last one, it's going to change the way you fast. Because 
your motivation, your zeal for fasting will radically change because you won't be fasting to earn his attention anymore. Because you cannot motivate God to do anything. He is the Genesis 1 God, the creator of all things. Therefore, his motivation comes from within his own being. Which means, his undivided attention is already towards you even before you started fasting. Therefore, your motivation of fasting will come from knowing that his undivided attention is already towards you because he is the one who initiated fasting, not you. He called you to it. You didn't call yourself to it. Why? Because his undivided attention is already towards you. Amen? He called you to fasting, not you. Okay? Which means fasting doesn't earn his attention to you but fasting, listen carefully, fasting enlarges our capacity. <clears throat> it enlarges our capacity to receive and to feel more of His mercy, more of His love and His power in our lives. Even before you started fasting, it's a gift. It is already available for you as a gift even before you started fasting. When this revelation dawns on you, I'm telling you, you are going to, your emotional chemistry is going to change into this extravagant lover of Christ because you're so thankful and so grateful and that love is, is going to motivate you to fast and pray. So you can feel and receive more of God in your life because you're lovesick. Love sick. Sickness that cannot be cured because the more you want, the more you have of God, the more you want. You just cannot get enough of Him. It's a love sickness. It's a good word. Somebody said, don't use that word love sick. Why? It has sick in it. Yeah, but it has love sick. Right? So I'm telling you, okay, this spiritual violence, this spiritual violence, we're still on the, what, what verse are we on? I'm testing, what verse are we on? Okay, good, all right. The spiritual violence is far, far beyond being sincere. Okay? It's far, beyond, far, far beyond being sincere. Okay? Because all these multitudes that Jesus was, Jesus was talking to, they were sincere enough to walk 10 miles in the desert. They walked 10 miles there, 10 miles back, in the desert, with the kids, with the packed lunch. They even got on the prayer line to receive prayer from John. They even bought the CD, bought the t-shirt. They were excited. But guess what? Guess what? When they left the conference, they went back to business as usual. They were sincere to go to the conference. They were sincere to go to the conference. They were, the conference. They were excited to see this man preaching. Oh, yeah. Got the prayer line. Boom. On the floor. Bought the CD, bought the taste, bought the, all that. But guess what? They went back to business as usual. Not only that, they came to a conclusion, okay? They came to a conclusion and, and said about John that he is demonized. He's gone too far. Why? Because they did not understand the meaning 
of this spiritual violence. The spiritual violence, the spiritual violence is, 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 is a whole other dimension where you will refuse to be denied, denying to set up for anything because you will be pursuing for the best of God. Nothing will stop you. You will be pursuing to set up for the best of God. To experience the fullness of God. And therefore, it will change the way you pursue God in your prayer life, in your worship, in your, in your, in your fasting. It will change the way you do your quiet time. And therefore, it will change the way you think, what you speak, what you watch on TV, what you look at on the internet, what, you, what kind of music you listen to, what kind of music you listen to. What kind of music are you listening to in your free time? Why was music created? And beloved, this is going to change the way you store money. Because when you give money away to the offering basket, it has so many Holy Spirit dynamics happening in your emotional chemistry. But when you lock your wallets, I assure you, you lock your heart. I assure you, you lock your heart. I am touching a very, very sensitive subject here, right? Because giving money away is one of the most important ways to experience the fullness of God. Do you know this? Do you know this? Because when you're put, when you're put, when because you're not putting your putting your security in your bank account, you're putting your security in God, trusting in His leadership. If God says to you one Sunday. I want you to give away 300 bucks for an offering as a thanks offering. You obey. You obey. But Lord, I only have, I only have 100 bucks in my, in, my, in my bank account. No. You obey when you give it. I assure you, Holy Spirit dynamics just happening all over your emotional chemistry. You're going to feel so blessed. You're going to be on a spiritual high just by being obedient and giving that money away. But when you lock your wallet, it's going to lock your heart and you will not experience the fullness of God. Amen? Now, I just spoke about the spiritual violence, right? But in the other flip side of the coin, the enemy will have others treat you violently if you're pursuing God violently. Okay? Because it will cause disturbance to all the other religious people and they will let you know about it and they will attack you and they will write you off as a fanatic. You're going way too far. You preach a, 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 a way out of balance kind of message. Your prophetic words are just way out there. They're going to attack you. But it's worth it. You know why? Because who wants to live a boring Christian life without any confrontation with the enemy? You want to live like that? You want to be bored? You want to be bored? Who wants to live a boring Christian life without any confrontation with the enemy? I'm, talking, I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about the demonic forces. 
Just as the Holy Spirit controls a human vessel, the demonic spirits controls the human vessel as well. The more you get violent in the spirit, the, 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 your spiritual warfare is gonna is gonna grow into intensity, 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 intensity. You want the anointing of God? You're gonna pay the price. Do you want to enlarge your territory? Lord, enlarge my territory. I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be be, be upon me. Oh yeah, I'm telling you right now. God says you're right. The opposition is gonna be greater. You ready for that? In the grace of God, you're gonna go against the opposition. And you know what? I gave another. I give another thing. The judgment upon you will be greater. You look about the Book of Acts. People got killed for lying to, to the Holy Spirit. You want the anointing of God to be upon your church massively and heavily? You better live holy and pure. You better live holy and pure. Look at Samson. The power of God was mighty on him. Guess what? Guess what happened to him? He faced a temporal judgment. What was that? Because of his rebellion, he faced a temporal judgment. There's a guy, a guy, that, there's a guy named Lonnie Frisbee. Back in the seventies, he he did a, he was a, he, he was a guy who forefronted the Jesus movement. This guy was a powerfully anointed by the Holy Spirit, power of God, sight of what is moving. Guess what? He died of AIDS. He was gay. We're thinking, wow, what's going on here? You want the anointing of God? The opposition is going to come greater on you, and the judgment of God is going to come greater on you. If you're willing to pay that price, take it. It's yours. Take it. Don't ask for it. Take it. Take it by force. Amen? That is why we can all look at this verse, verse 12, as this. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Meaning... Kingdom of heaven advances, enhances through violence. Just like what happened. Let's just look at the book of Acts. As the persecution got greater and greater, what happened? The church got smaller and smaller. No, they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Right, right. They were, they were, they were literally signing off for what? Persecution. Because in that hour, when you were being a Christian, they know, they know what they're signing off for. Revelation chapter 12 verse, verse 11. They did not love their lives until the end. Because Jesus said, those that try to save their lives will lose it, but those who, who lose their life will gain it. He wasn't just talking about laying down our lives to live for Jesus. That's, that, that's true. He was also talking about, there's going to come a day, you're going to literally lay down your life for me, as I did for you. Because in the end times, the Antichrist campaign, Antichrist army are going to chase you and they're going to kill you if you don't worship the beast. Do you know this? Don't think that you, we're going to be raptured and be taken away and then the, and then the, trial, and, and, and then the, the, the trials and tribulation will come. No, we're going to be right here in the midst of trials and tribulation. Right here in the midst of it. Because as they're chasing us and trying to kill us, 
through the praying church, God's going to send judgment from heaven as Moses stretched out his rod to bring judgment upon Egyptians. Same way the praying church, as we're interceding, judgment is coming down from heaven and they're going to kill the Antichrist army that are chasing you. So you're going to be dying as a martyr at the same time, the judgment will fall upon the Antichrist army. It's a disaster. Disaster. Bloodbath. Bloodbath. And you're still caught up in that Christmas story of Jesus, right? Come out of that, man. Come out of that. Come out of that, man. We're, looking, we're, we're, we're about to face a, a king. We're going to see a Jewish man coming in the clouds of heaven with thousands of mighty angels behind him. He's coming as a man in his glorified body with biceps. That's why, like I said, spiritual violence of a wholeheartedness is not, is, is, being, being spiritual violently wholehearted is not an option. It's a matter of life and death because if you're not lovesick for Jesus, you're going to worship the beast and say, to save your life. Because I'm telling you, on that day, you're not going to hear about persecution happening in Africa or in India. It's going to happen right in front of your face. And if you're not lovesick for Jesus, You're gonna want to try. You're gonna try to save your life, but, but then again, you don't know it. You're actually losing your life, beloved. God has chosen you to be born in this generation. Why? You're gonna experience the greatest power of God ever. Ten times more than Book of Acts. Same time, you're gonna face the greatest opposition than ever. He's put you right in the forefront of everything. The pinnacle. The pinnacle of the, of, of the Bible understanding. You're going to be right at the pinnacle of it. The greatest hour that in, in history. You're right there. If you got nothing to live for, the other way around. If you got nothing to die for, you got nothing to live for. Amen? Reading from verse 12. Let's go from verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, kingdom of heaven suffers violence, violence taken by force. Verse 13, 15, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive, he is Elijah who is to come. Who has ears, let him hear what the, what the Spirit is saying. So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist is one of the, is one who was prophesied about coming Elijah. Because according to Luke 1, 17, the angel says to John's father, John will move in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Okay? Now, that's that. Go to verse 17, go, go to verse 16, 17. Jesus says, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like a children sitting in a marketplace, calling to their companion by saying, We play the fruit for you, but you did not dance. We mourn for you, but you did not lament. Over here, Jesus is saying, My coming... To take away your personal sins and the sins of the world so you may have eternal salvation did not produce the dance of celebration. Nor the warning of the temporal judgment and the eternal judgment did not produce the lament and mourning of, repent of repentance. You did not respond to neither approach. You were passively indifferent. That's what he's saying. Because 
this love sickness of wholeheartedness in verse 12 is consist of dancing of celebration and the mourning of lamentation. It's the very paradox of grace. It's, it consists both. It's not either. It's and. It's, it's both. Amen? And verse 18, Jesus is saying, not were, you, not were you just passive or unresponsive, but you went further than that. Because you completely misinterpreted John and criticized him. Verse 18, he came neither eating or drinking. Which is talking about the very fasted lifestyle in the most intense way that John lived in, in his spiritual, violent, wholehearted love sickness for God. Okay? But the political and the religious community and the people looked at John and they said, he's unconventional. He's unrealistic. He's gone too far. He's a fanatic. And guess what? He has a demon in him. There's a clear picture. If you step into spiritual violence, I guarantee you, people are going to attack you left and right. Until, and if you, if you, if you, if you're not, if you don't remain, when you, when people are attacking, if you're not remaining in, in the grace of God, I'm speaking from experience right now, if you're not in the grace of God, you will get bitter, you will have offense towards God, that's going to cause cancer in your, in, in, in the inside of you. There's a price to pay for spiritual violence. Now, over here, okay, okay, now Jesus is saying, John's, Jesus is saying to the crowd, John's wholeheartedness, you went to go see, the, see John, ten, you walked 10 miles to, to the desert to go see John, and his wholeheartedness, his spiritual violence did not set you on fire. It should have set you on fire. You should have been spiritual violent as John was. You should have got the impartation of the Holy Spirit. But rather, you went back to business as usual, Christian life, and you, you mocked him, you criticized him, and you've also said about me, Jesus, that he's a glutton, a drunker, friend of a tax collector who associates with sinners. He's saying you wrote John off as a dangerous fanatic who's gone way too far and you wrote me off as who someone, someone who associates with sinners. But look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. He goes on to say, verse 19, let me tell you something. Wisdom is justified by her children. Woo! Wisdom to justify her children, meaning wisdom will be vindicated, openly seen, openly seen by her fruits. In other words, the wisdom that John walked in will be vindicated, openly seen, and accepted ultimately at the second coming of Jesus. But it is, it's, it, there's a little pockets here and there, but ultimately it's the same coming of Jesus. Okay? Jesus is saying that the wisdom that John walked in was wise, it was noble, it was powerful, 
John's spiritual violence and wholeheartedness, lovesick lifestyle, which you call dangerous fanatic, is wise choice that he walked in. It's a wise choice. Spiritual violence is a wise choice. Amen? But I'm a... But, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not an intercessor. I, 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 I just work at a hagwon. And uh, I, um, I, work at, I work for a company. I'm around heathens all day. What do I do? That's why you should be more spiritually violent. God will give you... Okay, look, look, after this message, I want you to just, for the whole week, just pray, Lord, what does spiritually violent, wholehearted, lovesick for God look like in my life? And he will show you, he will show you, he will teach you, he will walk you through. You just obey, okay? I'll tell you what it looks like in my life. I spend four hours in the prayer room every day. I'm not trying to brag. I fast five days out of the month, okay? I'm in the world all day, every day, because this is my job. This is my job, okay? Then you might say, oh, okay, so that's your job. But my job is to uh, um, host people and do this and do that, do that, do that. I'm telling you, there's room for everything. There's, there's room for spiritual violence even in that lifestyle. Okay? You understand? Alright. So, okay. Hold on. I'm, now, now I'm, I'm almost done now. Now, I'm going to bring it all together to draw out the main point of this passage, okay? Starting from verse 16, okay? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to review what I just said, and I'm going I'm I'm to I'm bring it together, okay? Verse 16, I'm going I'm to start from verse 16. Jesus says, To what shall I liken this generation? Or to what shall I compare this, this, this generation? Now over here, the reason why Jesus is drawing a special attention to this, to this generation is because Jesus chose this generation 2,000 years ago to visit humanity as a man, to dwell among his people. Therefore, this generation is a very, 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 very strategic, transitional, prophetic generation. Amen? Moving from the Old covenant to the new covenant through the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world and after his resurrection and his ascension, the power of God was about to be manifested into human experience like never before with the very glory and the presence and the, and the life of God is going to dwell in every human vessel and every redeemed. This is massive. Never in history was this kind of power of God manifested. Alright? Where the glory of God, the presence of God, the life of God dwells in every redeemed, and from Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the world, the gospel will be gospel will be preached, and many will come into the hang, many will come into the kingdom. Okay, which all started from the Book of Acts, right? The generation of the Book of Acts. But I'm talking about the time frame of John the Baptist to Jesus to the apostles of the Book of Acts is a very, very strategic prophetic generation. Okay? Therefore, Jesus is looking, he was looking for a certain response. He was looking for a certain response from this generation, from, from, that, from this generation. And he, he took John as a token, as a trophy, 
This is how you respond to this hour. Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? That's where, this is where John's at. Where you at? Where you at? The power of God. The indwelling presence of God is going to dwell upon. He's going to come and make his home in a human vessel. They were, they were, that kind of power was about to break upon the generation. Moving from the old covenant to the new. And God requires a certain response. So he took John as a talking and said, where are you at? This is where John's at. This is where I want you to be. Because if you're not up here, man, you're going to be passive. You're going to just gonna swing by your head. By your head. To experience the power of God, the indwelling presence of God in a real genuine way that was available to them requires spiritual violence. The indwelling presence of God in a gen- to experience the power and the indwelling presence of God in a very genuine way. Genuine way. I'm not talking about one signs and wonder here or one signs and wonder here and oh, it's happening in Africa but not in my church. I'm not talking about that. In a genuine way, where 10 out of 10 is healed. Okay? Well, you're going to literally fall on the floor. Bam! You're not going to fall on your own. You're going to really fall. Bam! Genuine. Genuine. Real significant healings. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears open. Lame walking. Dead or right. Dead or raised. Apostles were experiencing that in, every, in, their, in their everyday life. Why? Because they were spiritually violent. They t- not to mention the greatest revival when it turned the world upside down. That kind of power was about to break upon the generation and Jesus He's taking John the Baptist as a token. This is where you gotta be to experience his power. Because the opposition is gonna be greater. This is a prophetic message. Please understand this. All these things were able to come forth. Listen carefully now. All these things were able to come forth because in the grace of God, John the Baptist was spiritually violent in his wholehearted to break the ground, to dig the well, okay? With, with, with celebration and mourning to deal with present sin of this world by prayer, fasting, proclaiming the message of the repentance. And, and, and that had changed the whole spiritual atmosphere for the coming of Jesus. He's the one who broke the ground. The apostles walked into the labor that John labored in. Do you think, beloved, oh my goodness, you know how many years my mom prayed for, prayed for me, for me to stay, for me to live this kind of lifestyle? You think my mom just said, Lord, if you want, please do it. My mom travailed, prevailed in the spirit for years, beloved. For years, she wore against demons. That prayer saved me, my brother, 
my father. My father, the most prideful man in the world. Now he's like a little lamb. <laughs> Beloved, I'm telling you. John the Baptist's intercession and the fasting and praying and proclaiming the coming of Jesus through message of repentance, that dig the well, that prepare for the old, for the new covenant to break upon the generation. He was the, God sent that man. He was sent from God. He wasn't sent from an organization. He didn't send from an apostle name tag. I am apostle this. I have a name tag. I'm apostle. No. He was sent from God. Beloved, he, God is raising up a generation right now to be the sent ones from heaven. I'm almost done. God is raising up John the Baptist generation who has more privilege and access to the power of God to be sent by Father Himself to, pre- to prepare for the coming of Jesus. Because, because this time, like I said, He's not coming as a little lamb, but He's coming as a lion. Amen? Yeah. You, know, you know, some people have the revelation of Jesus as just a, certain things. Like He's the Savior and the Lord and the King. But they don't have the revelation of that he is the bridegroom God and the judge. You know, when you have parts of his revelations, you only know, know parts of him. You gotta know the whole, his whole personality, his whole character. He is the bridegroom God who's in lovesick for his church. He's gonna come and marry the prophetic church. Again, I say the prophetic church. He's coming to marry the prophetic church, not the holy church. Because in the end, like I said last time, there's going to be two kinds of churches. Nothing in the middle. The prophetic church and the holy church. He's coming to marry the prophetic church. And he's going to set up his righteousness and his justice. He's going to rule and reign as a king and a judge. And because he's a judge, he's going to remove everything that hinders love. Because he's a God of love. Beloved. No offense. If I... If, if I no, no offense, Michael. If, what's your name, brother? Roy. Let's say I'm Jesus. I love Lord Roy, and Roy loves me. And I've, I've been giving you, Michael, a, a time and a chance and a chance again to, to love me as Roy loves me, but you didn't. But rather, you were hindered to Roy loving me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remove you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. That's Jesus. That's not Jesus. He's a God of love. That's why he's, he's God of, that's why he's doing that. He's God of love. He's gonna remove everything that hinders love. That's his judgment. Spirit of wisdom and revelation be upon you right now, beloved. You're gonna come into a higher place of revelation. And how do you get here? You spend time in the bridal chamber. You you spend time. You spend time in a prayer room. You don't just spend time in a classroom, which is good. You spend time in a prayer room, praying over the book of Revelations. Of course, studying commentary soon. Of course, everything is helpful. We, I tell you, the most important prayer we can pray in this hour is Ephesians 1.17. Paul says, I pray that the Father of the glory will give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? That is the most important prayer we can pray in this hour. I'm telling you right now. That is it right there. Okay? Now, closing up here. 
Alright? And like John the Baptist, we must get spiritually violent in our wholehearted lovesickness. We won't, we, we won't settle for anything but the best of God. And therefore, in the grace of God, we must violently break the ground, dig the well, dance of celebration by mourning and dealing with the presence of sin in our lives right now, and sin in this world, by prayer and fasting, proclaiming the coming of Jesus. That's going to change the whole spiritual atmosphere for the coming of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, Christ is not coming back until we want it to come back. So you, so you, so you didn't know this, did you? We can hasten the day. He's coming back to a church where, he, he, where he's wanted. That's why Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride said, come Lord Jesus. Until a certain portion of the church cries out, come Lord Jesus. I am waiting for your coming. We're, we're, we're longing for your coming. We love you. We're lovesick for you. Come Lord Jesus. Until that day. Until the church is established in the first and the greatest commandment, the love of the Lord, all thy mind, soul, and strength. Until the church is established in that first commandment, he's not coming. Until the church is established in the bridal paradigm, as we as a bride of Christ, and he as a bridegroom God, he's not coming. Because guess what? Ultimately, he's a bridegroom God. So in essence, God is saying to us, it's going to take spiritual violence and wholehearted abandonment to deal with the opposition and to experience the power of God like never before in the end times. There's two things. As John the Baptist was spiritually violent, this is the hour. Beloved, we got to stand out like a sore thumb. People are going to point fingers at you. People are going to call you you're, you're deluded. How do you, how do you read the scripture that way, man? How do you read the scripture that way, Paul? Where'd you get that from? Well, because I have a lens, I have a different lens that you wear. I'm not saying your lens is bad, but like, you know, if you kind of have, you know, I, I'm not gonna be critical, man. Cool. Cool. Alright, I'm not gonna be critical, alright? I don't, I don't wanna be critical, man. I, you know, today's Pastor Christian's prayer really, uh, struck me in the heart, man. I don't wanna be, you know, I don't, I don't wanna operate in the economy of pride. I wanna operate in the economy of humility. So, Father, please forgive me for this. Okay. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Can I have somebody come up here and uh, play the guitar, if it's possible? This hour, we're going to see sky filled with fire. Two billion, three billion people suspended in the air at the rapture. New heaven descending to it upon the earth. We're not going to just have the indwelling presence of God. It's going to be a face-to-face encounter with presence of angels everywhere upon this earth. I'm telling you, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Not to mention. Signs and wonders. Take times within the book of Acts. You're not going to just hear about it. You're not going to just hear about signs and wonders in different countries. You're going to see it right in front of your face. Through, through your hands. God's going to heal the sick. Open blind eyes. Raise the dead. Beloved, we are moving into this hour. Amen? And God requires 
a certain response, and that's called spiritual violence. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. This is an internal violence that wars against our mindset, that that has that comes against comes against the knowledge of God. It brings it down, and any 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 presses the mind of Christ upon our, upon our hearts. Amen. Begin to pray. Let's begin to pray. So Lord Jesus, I want to be a wholehearted lover of God. Not even a little ounce of compromise in my life. I want to be wholehearted. I want to follow God. I want to. I want to give offering. When you say give offering, I want to spend time in prayer, fasting. Father God, I want to go out there evangelize, love the lost. Jesus, let's pray, church.